this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the true story of a New York City boy with big town hopes and small neighborhood dreams of becoming BFFs with the Real Housewives and other Bravo celebrities. Then, one day, that dream actually came true. Let me take you behind the velvet rope. Welcome back to our part two sit down with Michael Fishman. And if you haven't heard part one, check it out. He talks about how he was cast in the iconic role of DJ Connor. What it was like as a young child working on set with Roseanne, Sarah Gilbert, Lisi, John Goodman, Lori Metcalf, and what happens when the show ended. Michael was typecast, what it was like to try to find work, how people suddenly treated him different. Imagine that in Hollywood. He's so open and honest. It is such an interesting conversation. Check that out. And now part two. I didn't realize how hard it would be to get back in. Yeah. I think that's one of the things. It's easy to get, it's easy to get typecast. Then it's easy to get forgotten if you step away too long. And anybody can tell you that in this business too, because it's what have you done lately? Mm-hmm. Wait, so you were going to get that part, but then you didn't get it because you were married? Is that what pretty it much, is? Pretty much. And it makes sense from a standpoint, uh, from a business standpoint of like, if you're a young teen, young adult, and they want someone to help lead a show, does it exclude you if you're married? No, but it, it probably not the best advertising and sales pitch. You're certainly not going to be a heartthrob in the same way or draw the same audience. And so... I can't totally blame them in that. It's not the way I probably would go about it as a producer. But again, people are entitled to run their shows and their business the way they want. I mean, and and what it was for me was like, and my agent at the time had said to me, well, why'd you wear your ring to the audition? I'm thinking, why would I take my ring off? Like I just got married. Like it it didn't, it's an example of perception, right? And our business is largely based on perception and life. Unfortunately, especially with social media, 
people's perception helps shape how people view them. And I think you have to decide who you want to be. What was that show? Did that show go on? Oh, to I'm, be not telling. I'm not telling. Don't get me in trouble. It, it, obvious, it went to be a huge show, I guess. Not a huge show, but it, it, it had a couple seasons and it would have been a great job for me. Hmm. Okay. But that's okay. I mean, again, I just have to look at it as that's not where I was supposed to be at the time. I never would have had the experiences. I, I probably wouldn't have had my daughter. We wouldn't have done some of the things. And, and my ex-wife, um, if we hadn't had kids when we did, we probably wouldn't have ended up having kids because she had a medical thing later. And like all of these things that go with all of that, my life worked out the way I was supposed to. So to that point, you never, you know, Sarah Gilbert marries Linda Perry is on the talk. Sarah Chalk at Scrubs. Roseanne is Roseanne. Like yeah. you never had that. No, it's happy for everybody. I think that's the thing. I, I guess I look at it this way. I had, would I have liked help? Everybody wants help. But I don't know that I, like, I didn't fit on the talk. Sarah wasn't going to hire me for the talk. I used to go visit her at the talk when she first started because it was difficult it was outside of her comfort zone. So I would show up and basically stand in the wings and kind of support her before shows and, and, and show up. So she knew that there was support and that I cared. It wasn't about having the rest of the world see it. Right. But again, it's the talk. The whole premise is it's a female point of view. I didn't fit into that. Like I, there was nothing for her to help me there. So there was, there's no reason like, Sarah Chalk has scrubs. Okay, well, that's a different show. I didn't expect her to like come reach for me. It, and that's one of the things too is I think we get in trouble sometimes. We want somebody else to open that door for us. What I'll say is when it's my turn, I'm not just going to hire people. I, I don't think that's the best way. But what I will do is I'm going to open the door for a lot of people to get auditions and get opportunities to earn the jobs that they maybe never got access to before. And representation is a big thing for me and inclusion is a big thing for me. So I want people behind the scenes to be as diverse as the people in front of the camera and even more so. And so, you know, you don't see a lot of people of color or, or a lot of certain orientations in certain areas or certain elements of this business. And I think it limits our growth and, and how authentic we can tell a story. So for me, my job is to open the door for people, but people have to have the talent. Because if you hire a bunch of people who aren't talented, you won't be running something for very long because it won't last. Yeah. So you have to you have to walk that line. And do you think all this paying it forward comes from those lean times you had oh, yeah. and just? Oh yeah. Uh, but it, it, again, it has to be in you, right? Like for me. If I work on a bunch of shows and am successful to the rest of the world's definition, right? Right. But I don't make any difference in the world, then I wasted my time. Like, I really do believe that, you know, I, I do these lives with random people and they ask me these things. And man, we've, we, we've dove into domestic violence and we've dove into mental health and we're diving into all of these. And I tell you all the time, I'm not totally qualified for all of the conversations. So my advice is only mine. But if I can help somebody for a day, if I can make somebody feel better in this moment, what a shame if I waste that opportunity. And my job for me, everybody gets their choice about what they do with their life. My job is to tell authentic stories, tell stories 
from a lot of disadvantaged positions because most of my lead characters and the stuff I write don't look like me. I don't write projects for me. I have a few that fit me, but for the most part, I write what I think is a compelling story or a story that needs to be told. That's not about my lifting my profile or lifting, like that's just not my style. My right. job is to tell great impactful stories. What we did on Roseanne, in my opinion, was we told visceral real life stories with real issues and found the humor or the joy or the complex layers and how family dealt with it. That's the kind of stuff I write and try to put into the world. And if you don't help people along the way, like what is the good of having a really famous job? Because the truth is it's just a job, right? Yeah. Just find some more high profile. So what good is it if you don't do something positive with it? Yes. Although there's plenty of people that aren't, but okay. you never, so you never went down, you know, even though you had some lean years, you never went down that dark place. Like, why do you think so many child actors go down that? Is it like the addiction of fame and then the light bulbs fade? You know, cause it could be that. I mean, I think it's a combination. I, I don't want to cut you off. Like, was there more you wanted to, Yes. Yeah, go, go. I'll be very quick. I'm sorry. No, I no, just the opposite. I don't want to cut you off. I want you to, to get your full. Like 15 more minutes. How's that? Oh, no, no. I'm not worried okay. about time. No, I mean on that question I meant. Oh, no, no. Oh, sorry. I thought you were like, um, no, because oh, no, we went over. I just over. want to make sure. Oh, no. I kind of no. jumped into it. I, I want to make sure that I respect you properly. No, no. Just, you know, like the, you, you know, you, there's a lot of child actors that go awry. Yeah, I think- You know what I mean? It's a combination, right? First part is, I think, perspective, you get a choice. I think we far too often, it's easy to blame other people when we go awry. When I screw up, it's my job to own my screw up and say, okay, yeah, I missed it there, or I was ignorant there, or whatever. But there's a lot of people who are taught to be entitled. And like I said earlier, sometimes bad behavior is rewarded at times in our business in particular. And I do think, when you're a kid and people tell you you're great, you're special, you're all of these things, right? And this isn't just our business, this is life. It's easy for the kid to start to act out and abuse some of that. And if they're told they're better than other people, it's even easier for them to have that feeling. So I think what starts to occur is you start to have a division of reality and you start to put yourself in a place that's above others. Then I think if you add any chemical dependency or any issues, which you're going to have access to, right now you even heighten it. Then, like I said before, add some money and it's a magnifying glass. Add fame, it's a second magnifying glass. Next thing you know, your head's so big, bigger than it really is, and your insecurity is leading you in different directions. And I think there is an addiction to fame. And I think the question is, what do you do? How bad do you want fame? Because like, I want to do great work. The fame part of it is, is not that it's a drag, but it, it comes with responsibilities, in my opinion. Now, other people don't look at it that way. Other people look at it as access or, or you know, I wasn't a guy who ever used who I was to get into a place for free or get free meals or, unfortunately, you know, try to get people to be your partner or, or, or get access to things or sex or, or, or drugs or any of that stuff. That's not my style. Cause I always looked at that as 
I want to earn your heart. I want to earn my work. I didn't just want to use people. It's just never been my style. It, and you can perfectly well just meet people and have a good time, but that's just not my style. I mean, I'm a guy who was married. I got married 18, was married for 20 years. Like I'm pretty much a, a, a dedicated I'm certainly not the norm and I'm certainly not wired no. exactly the way most people are, but I also have to be authentic to who I am. And I think it's very easy. You're famous. Sometimes you have money, but more importantly, it's perceived you do. Mm-hmm. Now you have access to essentially a whole world of stuff. And the question is, you know, they say power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Right. So it's easy to be corrupted in that way. Right. I would agree with that. But then also you didn't have the negative side of people using you or not ever knowing. Oh, that's not, not true. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, David, yeah. I mean, well, maybe not from like your wife's point of view because you got married at a young age. I guess that's where my yeah. mind was going. But, I mean, others, I, but others tried to use you. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I had a manager early on in my career sue me for 15% that never worked a single day, never took me to work or was engaged. And that was a multi-year court battle that tied up a lot of, wasted a lot of resources. Um, I had family members who tried to kind of get their cut or their piece and that created strain in my family. And then I felt responsible for that. And there was a lot of pressure there. And, you know, no one comes out of life unscathed. True. And and even high school, right? There are a group of people in high school who, depending on what kind of high school you are, maybe it's the jocks, maybe it's performers, maybe it's it's the academic decathlon team, who are deemed the special people, right? For whatever reason, they get status. Right. What you find is how do those people use that? Some of them are kind. Some of them are great. And you're like, wow, what an amazing person. But some of them use other people. And that happens on a small scale. Now, magnify that times the world. It's not a surprise that so many people can go awry in that sense is you got everything you could ask for in the world and the whole world is basically catering to you in a lot of ways. If you get deemed the sexiest, whatever, if you get deemed the richest, whatever, the best under this age, we keep putting people on lists and then being shocked that they act out or that something inappropriate happens after we just deem them something that they haven't totally earned yet. Right not a character thing. It's not a value thing, really. It's an arbitrary thing that makes for a good headline. Right. And no one's, no one's going to say no to you in that situation. And a lot of people believe their own hype. Agree. So after all of this, we fast forward and now you're just living your life, minding your own business. You you're happy in life. Talk to me about the reboot. Like, I know John Goodman went on the talk and that's kind of how it all started. It is. And for me, I was working a lot of small things. I'd done a couple acting things and I, I was, you know, I spent two and a half years doing improv and doing some stand up and, and performing in spaces that everybody wasn't seeing. Then there's a beauty like in improv of it exists in that moment, but no one knows. Right. So you can have a great show and someone tells you it's a great show, but in a, in a day, are you, you're performing for the right reason, right? It's not the fame and, and the admiration and money because tomorrow no one will know that scene ever happened. Right. And I loved that. I loved the purity of that. And I was taking acting classes and I knew what I wanted to do. 
and I was writing and, and starting to build projects and put things together, then this show all of a sudden suddenly becomes possible. And I had to ask the really tough question because you talked about typecasting. Do I want to go back into that? And then there, you know, there was the thing of, you know, Roseanne and I had talked for years about ideas, where we thought these characters would be. My character is the most difficult in many ways because he was the only one that wasn't totally defined at the end of the show. He's the only one that's a kid. So trying to rediscover DJ and then piece together portions of this life after, you know, he's a military veteran and he's in this interracial marriage and, and he has this honor and this duty. But at the same time, he's got to have some of that playfulness and goofiness and that gentle heart that people remember from DJ. And it's nice for me because there's elements of those in my personality too, but it's not me. Like I'm so different from DJ. People in my real life are always like, God, I, I, I can't believe that you fit that way that well. And you know, and people who meet me, who get to know me, clearly today you probably didn't get exactly what you anticipated from an interview standpoint. No, this is, I, I, this is similar to what I kind of okay. anticipated, I think. Yeah, I mean, and I'm a guy who, you know, like I said, I've worked construction and I, you know, I used to go kick in doors and take criminals to jail. And like, I, I, I did a lot of weird, tough, hard, you know, jobs. And I donate a lot of time and volunteer. So it's, it's the military part, I think actually was easier for me in some sense because I had connection to it. Listen, if there's ever been a year to make the moms in your life feel loved and appreciated on Mother's Day, this is the one. It's been so much harder for me to see my mother over the past year. And that's why, for me, it was so important that she felt appreciated this Mother's Day after everything that we've been through. I only thought of one way that I could accomplish that, and that was StoryWorth. It's an online service that helps your mom, grandmother, mother-in-law, every mother figure in your life share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal experiences. Every week, StoryWorth emails your mom a different story prompt, questions like, what is some of the best advice your mother ever gave you? If you could choose any talents to have, what would they be? For me, I went deep. I asked my mother what her biggest fear was, what she felt she missed out on life by not doing, what is she most afraid of? Listen, if you guys read the testimonials on StoryWorth, they will literally move you to tears. For me, it's brought me and my mother and my whole family closer together. And I feel that that's so much more important now than ever because a lot of families can't be together. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all of your mom's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. I am learning so much more about my mother through this process. I, I can't even begin to tell you the things that I have learned from my mother. I found out she wanted to be an actress. I'm like, is that where I get it from? Is, is it in the, my genes? Listen, give your mom the most meaningful gift this Mother's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com slash velvet. You get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash velvet for $10 off. This will bring you and your mom whole family so much closer together guys there's no better gift that i can think of for mother's day 
but trying to find a way to kind of walk through having elements of PTSD. And we've been unclear about that. I mean, that's a topic I, I really want to talk about on the show. And I, I, we've talked about in bits and pieces and alluded to it, but man, that's such a deep and important topic in our world. Yeah. But that's what brought me back to the show was the ability to do great comedy with good people and get to dive into deep topics. Did you have an input like talking to Roseanne? Like, did you say like interracial marriage or that was all Roseanne? Like, where did all these ideas? That's I mean, largely Roseanne. It's something, but that's something she and I had talked about for years. That's what I wanted. And it was also what she wanted. So, and it fits for the character. Yeah. And having that part, she's always been great at brilliant that people don't give her enough credit is that the understanding of the way characters come together and, and kind of streaming storylines, you know, that's something that's so special in her. She, she's really gifted in that way. And for me, you know, we talked about the military stuff cause I have family members and military background. And so, so I think there are elements of my life that she kind of swept into it. And then she knew what she wanted in my character. And then the idea was for that character to really grow and, and we haven't had a chance. I'm still hoping that at some point it's going to grow in the direction that we've kind of discussed or that it was planned. But, you know, in the meantime, I, I take every opportunity. I try to make the most of each and every joke and story. And is it like a chain effect where like then like Sarah calls Roseanne and this one's on board? Like, were you like the last one to be called? Like, did you have any reservations? Or I would imagine if like Roseanne's on board and John's yeah. on board you're just like, or did you, it didn't matter. You had your own reservations or there were none. Well, I other than, kind of felt we would come back. I just thought it would take a lot longer. There was always something like there's an undone element to what happened, but also huh. I felt like this show special and could be transcendent in a different time period, if that makes sense. So then Sarah talked to Roseanne, Roseanne and I kind of had a, a real early conversation and then they started reaching out to like Lisi and, and Lori and all this stuff. And basically everybody just said yes right away. I mean, it all happened in less than two months. We went from wow. could we do this to, yeah, we're, we're about to do this and let's go make this happen. And cause so many reboots had failed mm -hmm. on different networks the network was just like, okay, there was no, I mean, I, I know they didn't green light as much as they did in the beginning. Actually Channing Dungey fought for us and really did green light us almost immediately and credit to her. Cause she felt like it was a show with a special tone and she felt like we could bring people together in a special way. And so she really made a bold move with us and it paid off huge. And there were no reservations like with Roseanne of like, you know, we're in a different time. I mean, I know the world's going through its own, it was like, no, this is still relevant today. I mean, I guess that says a lot about the show. I think for her, she's always had something to say. She still has something to say. And I think that's the thing is there was something to say with these characters. And then it's a special group of people like you alluded to earlier. It's such a talented group of almost legends. It's hard to go wrong when you get that many people and everybody plays well together. Yeah. So... The show is coming back. I live in New York City, so I was there. You went to Paley Center, AOL. Yep. It was like mass chaos wherever you all went. It was, and it was um, overwhelming because I think people wanted to put their own preconceptions about what the show was going to be and who Roseanne had become and all of these things. And I really was the voice of like, look, the show has always had this tone of being progressive and socially aware. 
that's who we are and that's what it's going to be. Come, come and see if that makes any sense. It does. Were you shocked because now we have social media and it's a different world. You know, you were around all these years, but were you shocked then like when you came to New York or you started doing press at just how it changed? No one wants your autograph. They want a selfie. I mean, I imagine you got some of this throughout the years, but that was like mass chaos. Like were you guys or collectively as a cast shocked, you know, like, wow, this is bigger. Or you expected like people are going to go crazy. No, I kind of had new... I knew that the the audience still loved and supported the show through all the years. So I knew that there was support there. I think you can't fully grasp until you're in the experience. And I think part of it is being grateful. You know, I've just always been so grateful for the people who support our show. So for me, I was just in, you know, and, and signing selfie, whatever it is, engaging with people, it's just definitely a different, um, it's a different animal with social media, but it's a beautiful thing because you can relate and you can get immediate feedback. Right. So then it airs. It has like 27 point something million viewers. Murphy Brown was right around the same time. Didn't work out. Like we have a huge hit on our hands. You guys like we're doing all this pressure on top of the world. You're all back together. And then this tweet comes out. Well, yeah. first you were renewed, I think, right? You were yes, renewed we, for a second we, season. Actually, we've just been renewed and we just did upfronts in New York. And so like this is, you came back with a bang. Yeah, and in New York, we basically had talked about, and she, she was planning on having somebody kind of take over her social media. And I had met with members of her family and it was, we were all just happy, you know? And I think yeah. it is a classic example of sometimes you know, you just have to be mindful and, and be aware that things change rapidly. And we went from suddenly everything was great to the whole world falling apart and falling on your head. And I had to make a really tough decision about how I felt. And there was no advantage to me making a statement. It would have been way easier. And most people just kind of stayed quiet. But I had been vocal and I felt like I had a responsibility and I look, I coach kids and I coach kids, a lot of them who are from lower income families and a lot of diversity and a lot of, you know, kids who, you know, have to really battle for what they have and who also were sending me messages like, Hey coach, how do you feel about this? Or, or what is happening? Or, or are you, do you agree with this? And I feel like it would have been disingenuous and cowardly of me to have said nothing. So what I did was I said the truth and I believe so often people always want to talk about what they would have done in history or what they would have done if they're challenged or put in a tough position. And I felt like I did it with honor and I felt like I was fair and I was open and I was honest. And I felt like I was honest about how much I care for her and that I felt it was out of character, but that these comments were repugnant and, and you know, completely outside of what was acceptable. And I, I remember that morning because I had stayed up all night doing a script and I literally woke up and it was one of those mornings where you just know something's happening and they didn't have any other choice but to cancel the show. If the character had said it, we could have made it a teachable moment. But given the way it was said and the, amount of stuff that was said there really was no no way especially as a network there was no way 
to support it or continue in that sense. So when it got canceled, much later that day, after after we had had our exchange, you know, Rosanna I had our exchange on Twitter, and and the world kind of got real ugly, and I started getting a lot of really negative response. There was no advantage, and the show had been canceled, and I had been very honest, and I just was like, okay, you take your lumps. Like this is the downside of fame, right? Like you do something people don't like, then you got to stand in and take take a little bit of the beating, and take the threats and take the risks. Um, and then I never imagined in a million years that they would come back. And I almost didn't come back for the Connors. I was the very last person to sign on. I was the very last person to say yes. Um, because I have such tremendous respect for her and I felt torn and conflicted about it of continuing without her. It wasn't. That's what it was. Sorry. I didn't say you didn't want to come back without her at that point. That's yeah. At that point, I, I, I didn't know how I felt. It wasn't until it was acknowledged and I got acknowledgement from her team and her people that she had signed the rights and that she wanted the show to continue and that it was going with her blessing that I started to kind of consider coming back. And then you know, I, I really had to analyze how I felt about that and what that meant coming in. And I, I actually, in, now I'm really proud that I came back. And what we did at the beginning of that season, you know, Mylon Robinson came in and I had such unbelievable high hopes for what was coming with her. Um, that was some of the best work I've ever done and some of the best experiences I've ever had on set. And we were empowered in those first few weeks, but then the tone kind of shifted. I mean, were you shocked going back to the morning over here? You said you felt something happened. Like, were you like when you read the actual tweet, were you just like, I'm so confused. Yeah. Confused, devastated, um, shocked. Uh, I kept looking for more and like trying to understand and where it came from. And was there a fight or something that predated it or, or, or that initiated it? And, and then you just, you, you go through the, the, the conscious part of it of like, you know, what does this mean and, and, and why and wh- where did it come from? And I know she said that she was, there was some Ambien or there's some mental illness and there's all these other things. And, and then it's also, I love someone who needs help in this essence is what they're saying to you. And so your heart breaks in it. It's like in layers, if that makes any sense. Almost yeah. like an onion, right? Like Completely. your heart's breaking in, in layers and you're peeling off each one and each one has its own. And all you know is really they're all each one going to make you cry in some other way and, and break your heart. It just, it just got more and more complex as it went. Did you talk to like Sarah or Lisa? Because I know Sarah made a statement like before you made your statement. Like was it a... Yeah. You- uh, I had talked to everybody pretty much that day. Um and I, the first person I reached out to her, her, her team, Roseanne's team, the, her manager, you know, I sent her an email because I couldn't get a response from anybody. And I, I said, I feel that I have to make a statement that is consistent with my beliefs based on all of the stuff I've said and how outspoken I've been. I need to talk to you guys about Apostrophe. It's a prescription skincare company for people that are ready to take their acne 
seriously. Now, here's the thing you guys know, prescription acne treatment really works, but it's hard to get. You have to take time off work, go see a doctor, sit in line at the pharmacy and wait for your medications. Not anymore. Apostrophe makes it easy to see a board-certified dermatologist online. You get treated immediately and your medications are delivered to your home. All you have to do is fill out their online questionnaire about your skin concerns and medical history. Then you snap a few selfies, how fun is that, and your dermatologist will get back to you with a customized treatment plan tailored just for you. It treats acne, but Apostrophe does a lot more than just that. They also can help you with your other skincare goals, like reducing redness, wrinkles, and even dark spots. I filled out the survey. Of course, my I was concerned with wrinkles, so that's why I went on. Filled out the survey. Literally, somebody got in touch with me so quickly. The medicine arrived right to my front door. I've already started using it. It's just as simple as that, and you don't even have to leave your home. Listen, you get $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash velvet. So go to apostrophe.com slash velvet and use the code velvet. This code is only available to all of you who are listening to this podcast. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash velvet and click begin visit. Then use the code velvet at sign up and you get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe.com slash velvet. Use the code velvet to get your dermatology visit for $15 off. It really is so easy. I'm so glad I found apostrophe. It's for acne, it's for wrinkles, it's for dark spots, really any of your skincare goals. That's apostrophe.com slash velvet. Use the code velvet at checkout and you get $15 off. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Do you ever ask yourself why are so many dogs suffering with health issues? Well, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 1,600 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, says there's one place we can look to support any dog's health, their food. So she decided to create something she could actually feel good about feeding her dogs, and it's called Superfood Complete. Superfood Complete is the only food I use for the dog in my life, Doherty. Why? Because Doherty's health is so important to me. Doherty is so picky. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But he loves this dog food. What do I love best about Superfood Complete? The fact that it's made with over 30 of the healthiest ingredients on the planet. But don't take my word for it. Go to badlandsranch.com velvet in order right now to get 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S ranch.com slash velvet today. It's sandal season, and that's something I used to wait all year for. But now with the new Croc style sandals, I embrace those feel-good summer vibes all year long. 
And you can too. I love Crocs' new getaway sandals. With their new feel-free technology, they're so light and soft, it feels like you don't have shoes on at all. It's like walking on clouds. They're Brooklyn sandals. They're so stylish and sophisticated. They have a classic style and a modern simplicity. And let's not forget their new Miami sandals. They're an elevated silhouette and they have a slight lift, which I love. So thanks to Crocs, these aren't just sandals for a single season. You can wear them year-round. And that's what I love best about Crocs because being this comfortable transcends a single season or a single vacation or even a single moment. It's a mindset. Thank you, Crocs. And right now you get 20% off your next purchase at crocs.com. Just use the code sandals20 at checkout. That's sandals20 at crocs.com for 20% off your purchase. Do you remember Tuesday, September 20th, 2016? Because we do. Because it's the day This Is Us premiered after more than 70 million of you watched our trailer and made our show go viral. I'm Mandy Moore. I am Chris Sullivan. And I am Sterling Brown. We are your hosts of That Was Us, a rewatch podcast starting May 14th. Listen to our episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll be able to watch our episodes on the That Was Us YouTube channel. Is, is there stuff in here that you don't want me to say or that you want me to change? Because I'll be respectful, but I have to be authentic to me. And I never got a response until after I made my statement. And then we had a public fight and I basically got flogged publicly as a kid, um, which is also fair for her, is to have the right to have a strong opinion or not like what I said, the same as I didn't like what she said. And, but I've been very authentic about the fact of that I, to this day, I love her. There's so many things about her that I think are wonderful and that I admire about her just because I didn't agree with what she said. And I certainly don't agree with those ideas. It doesn't mean I forget everything good that ever happened. And I don't fully understand. I still don't. And and I can't because that mindset or, or thinking is so far outside of mine. And it's just really unfortunate. But that like brings up cancel culture, right? It's, it's like, a, like you said, there's an onion of like, I mean, I, I believe this is possible. I don't think a lot of people do, but I think it's possible to say, I don't agree with anything you just said or understand what you said, but you're my family or my friend and I love you. And so I, I believe that's possible, but I don't think with the world now, most people believe that. Oh, I think it's definitely possible. And I think it's definitely possible in your family. Particularly yeah. in a private environment. I think in a public environment, there's an extra element. The element is that we set a tone and a voice for a whole environment of people. And that comes with an added responsibility. And that added responsibility is your statement makes an impact on the world as a whole. And I don't think as a network that they had a choice and I don't feel that we had another option. And I totally understand and I never imagined that we could come back or that, that the show would be salvaged in that way. Cause I also thought a lot of people would pull back and not be ready to engage. So I was shocked when we basically and credit to her, she didn't want it to end that way. And that really is what we've done is we decided this was not how we wanted this legacy to end. So in some ways we are trying to acknowledge and atone for that aspect of it and make that not the defining note. Were you like talking to like 
your castmates, was there any, were you just like, we're going to be canceled or were you shocked when that happened? You know what? It's so, it's so interesting. We never cared about canceled per se, because that wasn't the part that was hard for us. It's that we didn't understand what was going on. That is a byproduct, you know, of what happened. And I think everybody just accepted that, but we never had conversations about that aspect of it because again, it wasn't our decision, but it also is a, a situation where, that wasn't our number one priority. Right. It was more understanding what this person that you love and his family has done. Yeah. And and trying to understand being honest about where you are and trying to be open about how you really feel and move forward. And I, I think that's the thing. Cancel culture as we know it now has grown. I think that was one of the earlier big explosions of it is it is a progressively moving thing. And I think we're, we're having big gut visceral reactions. Now, some are warranted. And listen, racism under any circumstances is not okay. And, and it's an area where I have very strong feelings. So it, it's not something that I'm even going to be remotely flexible about. It's not an area, you know, I have, you know, a young woman that I essentially have adopted who is a, person of color who this young woman, how that makes her feel and the things she faces on a day-to-day basis and the things that happen. You know, I was in an interracial relationship where we dealt with a lot of people's prejudices and ignorances in real life. And people don't understand. I think it's easy if you have an experienced prejudice, whether it be for race, gender, orientation, religious beliefs, whatever it is, if you haven't faced a really extensive or really overt kind or amount of of prejudice it's hard for you to totally grasp how much that can impact your life or your experience and i think that's part of this too is this the discussion that we need to have more of so you don't think the network fired roseanne too quickly not when it refers to racism i i think that's one of those areas where we live in a world where people say well you know, people are too sensitive. And the truth is, no, we just weren't sensitive enough for a really long time. And at a certain point, you have to take hard stances. And I certainly don't think that they made a a rash judgment. I think it's a hard decision. I think it was rough. I think it was a terrible outcome in many ways. But given the situation, it, it was totally warranted. Do you think like Roseanne deserves a second chance I think Roseanne will have chances. I think Roseanne will make her way and she's going to make her legacy known in the world. I mean, that's the beauty of who she is, is she still has a voice and how she chooses to use and impose that voice and how she connects with people. That's her power. And what she does with it will define how people remember and view her. And I think that's the thing. We have to be very careful that we only view people through one moment but also you get the opportunity. It's my job to build my legacy. It's her job to build her legacy. It's our job to do things. And I think part of it is you can't just do things in a public space where people feel like you're showing or pandering or or presenting. You have to do things. Your life has to be consistent because that's the thing about social media. If Mm -hmm. you create a persona now, It won't be long until somebody you made mad or you lied to along the way comes along and says, oh, that persona you have, pop, like 
watch me show the whole world who you really are. And I which think is, that, which happens. Yeah. And I think that's, for me, that's why I try so hard to just be totally authentic and just be open from the standpoint of like, and I might not be the person you want. I might not be the person you want to talk to, but I also am going to be authentic to me. So there's not an aha moment. You're not going to meet me in, in this capacity. Right, David. And then, you know, we meet at, you know, a restaurant somewhere and I'm like, Psh, go away because you're not doing the interview. Now you're not valuable. The truth is people are valuable. Treat people the right way. And I think you don't have to hide from who you are. You need to be honest about who you are. And for young people in this world, they're trying so hard to fit in and live up to some of these kind of false perceptions of what is going on on social media. Be careful of the persona you build mm-hmm. because it may own you and control your whole life. And it can be really hard to live up to. So with you and amongst the cast, there was no part of you. Well, I mean, there might've been a little part, but like the majority was never, we're going to lose our jobs. We're back. This is a great job. It was really. No, the job was gone. I mean, and none of us really, I think, I, obviously at some point, Sarah got into conversations as a producer about trying to rescue the show. And that's a great thing, but that was never any portion of my thinking in particular. My real honest thing was I have to be honest about this and stand where I believe I should stand in history because that's who I am and that's my integrity because my kids will evaluate where I stand one day. So I tried to be very honest. Like I said, I said, was that a character with what I experienced? It was a terrible moment, but I do not condone what was said. And I will not accept that kind of blatant disregard for, for people. And I, that is commendable. And so once you make that statement and you stand by that, then what part of you, not that you regret your statement because you don't, but what part of you is then just devastated or hurt, you know, like the five stages of grief, like what, when Roseanne responds, it is like, really? And then you guys go back and forth. That's a loss now. A hundred percent. It's all painful. And what I would say is your, I mean, even now, as I sit in this moment, somewhat removed from that, it is heart wrenching. And what I would say to you is it's, it's this, it's, um, it's not about work. It's about people. It's about caring. It's about if this person needs help, wanting them to get help. It's about understanding that that didn't fit the character that I knew, but that these statements are blatantly wrong, right? And that there is no justification for them. It's understanding that you had to take a stance that's painful for you to take. And I think for me, that wasn't a career move. As a matter of fact, it was risky on both sides from the standpoint of, you know, I was outspoken. I was super blunt and honest and I got hell from both sides. And, you know, like I said, I got death threats and, and for months it was a issue and months and months and months. And I still get terrible messages and people feel like this is one place when, you know, I have a mixed background and a mixed family and a blended family. Right. But when you are perceived to be a white male, cisgender, you know, and, and appear to be in an easy category, right? When you speak up and you say things in this way, it makes a lot of people very unhappy because they feel like you're maybe turning on 
people that you're supposed to be defending. The truth is, no, I was being honest and I was being consistent with having integrity. And I'll tell you, if the roles were reversed, the other people would have had the same response had it been me. And I would never say anything like that because that's the right stance. The right stance is this is an unacceptable thing to say. You cannot at any point accept prejudice or bias or bigotry as being an acceptable thing. And it's not a joke. And so you say that, and I would think that people would say, bravo, but you, you got, why did you, I mean, cause I didn't realize. So you got death threats, what saying you're disloyal to Roseanne. Oh yeah. I mean, you get, you're going to get it from all sides. I mean, again, because there are people who wanted statements to be worse. There are people who are ignorant to begin with. There are people who don't like that you're acknowledging that you don't stand in lockstep with what they want. There's people who try to use it for their own agenda. And the truth is that also goes back to, you kind of have to know who you are. And, and I look at it this way. I have stood up for people along the way who have not been treated properly. And I have stood up for people, whether it be orientation, because I've had situations like that. I've stood up for transgender people I've worked with who weren't treated equitably. I've stood up for people, whether it be, you know, I, a number of people based on color and prejudice. And I, look, I have to pay the price at times because it's not always received well. And I'll pay that price every single time because this is one part that people have to understand. Your silence is acceptance. And whatever small price I pay is nothing in comparison to the person who is experiencing it that I'm speaking up as an ally for. And that person probably goes through it all the time. I'm having a experience. This is likely a life experience that they've had repeatedly. And as an ally, the most important part for me is what I have to make sure is one, that I don't speak out of turn and I make sure that those that I'm speaking with, because I'm not speaking for, that those I'm speaking with are okay for me standing up with them, that they don't feel like I'm taking power or contributing to how they feel. And then the second part is that they know that it comes from a place of consistency so that they know that it wasn't a moment in time or something that was convenient. I have to live in it. And look, I've taken some consequences along the way and it's cost me work, financial stuff, opportunity. But guess what? I got to be consistent about who I want to be. And in the long run, the people I work with, the people I love, my family, they're going to respect that. And at the end of the day, that's going to be my legacy, both in private and public. And that's what some of the death threats were to say that you're like a white cisgender male and this statement isn't strong enough and easy for you to say. Or, or backstabbing or, or however you want to sway it. Like whatever, whatever fit. And people are angry because people just got this beautiful show back. And I get mm -hmm. that too. Some of them were just speaking out, right? They're so mad because they, this thing they've waited so long for that they got what they wanted suddenly disappears. And I understand that pain. It's one of the reasons I was willing to come back is I feel like this show has a special place. I feel like we have a bigger message and it's an opportunity. I want it to embrace these social issues. I want to talk about race. I want to talk about gender. I want to talk about orientation. I want to talk about what it's like in, in a family, in a mixed blended complex family 
how do people really feel? How do we get real stories out to the world and then find humor in it so that we can disarm people and bring people together? Because my mission is kind of unity and inclusion. And it took me a while to really, you have to find this in your life of what is your goal or what you're trying to build and what you're making, right? I'm trying to build communities of authentic stories that cause visceral experiences that build unity, inspire and support diversity and create inclusion. It's that simple. That's what my production companies are all about. Were any of those death threats, like, did you, I mean, I guess, did you take them seriously or having these experiences from the first time around with the national anthem and all that? I mean, I guess, Oh, you were, had, were you, you scared? Oh, you, you have to take them serious. And at the time I, you know, my kids were teenagers. My son was getting right. ready to go to college. So he's getting ready to move out of the house and I don't know, he's not going to be with me. That one was particularly scary because yeah. people meet him. I don't know who he's going to meet and he's going to be miles away and I can't protect him in the same way. And every parent knows that's like your, your biggest fear. With my daughter, it was almost scary in a different sense is you're with me all the time. So I'm worried. And so there were a lot of times like, you know, and as we, my, my ex and I were kind of figuring out the paperwork and separate, I took my daughter to work with me a lot of times because work was the safest place. And you have to take all these things serious. And I, with a little bit of tactical background and friends who are in law enforcement and military people, I was very protective. And I, I've always been protective and I've always kind of bunkered down a little bit at home. And so that part just kind of got heightened. And I, more, I was worried that I was going to impact my kids and make it even scarier for them. So I tried to keep normalcy, but be extra protective. And they knew what was going on and like your ex-wife and like, I mean, I guess you had to involve them. Well, I mean, that morning, the answering machine started, you know, we had a landline and, you know, people were calling and leaving messages on the answering machine. So they're waking up to hearing these things. Wow. And some of the most disgusting, bigoted, prejudice, I mean, the language, the messages, the things that you get called, the words that get used that, you know, frankly, probably never should have been invented in history, but certainly should have died a long time ago. Um, they don't have a place in our world, really. Are coming across, like I got to the point where I just unplugged the answering machine because I didn't want my kids to hear they know these things exist in the world, but it's different when they're being threatened or, or said, right? And you just kind of go, okay, we have to streamline how much we're taking in. We have to streamline what kind of access to social media and how much you engage and don't fight on my behalf. I don't need you to do that. Like, don't engage. I'll engage the people I feel I need to. You know, I took a few days off social media too. Like, you kind of, you, you just kind of, you cope the best you can. There's no, there's no playbook or rule book on how you deal with these things. And, but that's what I learned the first time with the national anthem. There were a lot of people who felt we were un-American when she never intended for that to be disrespectful or negative. It was intended right. to be a positive thing and she struggled and she tried to make a joke and it wasn't received well. So it's one of those scenarios where, again, you just kind of have to step up, face up and say, okay, uh, you know, it's like facing the bully. You know what I mean? Like you're, you don't get a choice. 
because you can't run forever and everything that you run from owns you. Well, it's a lot to go through. You lose your job, which I know is the least of your concerns. You get it back. You make a statement, which you stand by. You read this statement. Well, which, the statement came first. Let's, let's make sure we put that in the right order. So, so you, you, you get a job. You get your dream. You're thrilled. You're on top of the world to a place financially where you're getting out of debt. You got a child going to college. So you have a big responsibility. Suddenly a statement's made that you don't agree with. That's opposite of everything you've ever posted and said. You have to be vocal and take a stance to be consistent and have integrity. When it's the hardest possible thing, because it's a person you love and have loved your whole life. Then you make the statement, the show gets canceled. Oh, it's almost like, oh, wait, by the way, I just lost my job, right? Like that right. part almost doesn't hit you because everything else is so much more important, right? And then all of a right. sudden the reality sets in. It's like, oh man, what do I do next? I just almost cussed pretty thoroughly right there. You, uh, you're, you're entitled to. And, and then you go, whoa, my whole world is falling apart. What am I going to do? to take care of my family? What am I to do to take care of paying for college? And then on top of that, all of a sudden, now all of a sudden the death threats start. And now the spin game starts from people who want to manipulate it, who most of them didn't have anything to do with the situation and weren't connected. Now you're in the middle of what is a public, you know, just storm, right? It's like standing, I, I don't want to say eye of the hurricane because they say it's calmer in the eye, right? Like, but you're in the hurricane and you're trying to figure out you don't fully know which way's up. And so what you have to do and what I tell anybody is what you have to do in that moment is own who you are. Think very hard about the decisions you make and make decisive decisions because you, what you can't do is panic and act out. And then what I started doing was, okay, I'm a coach. I need to invest in my team. Okay. I'm a dad. I got to make sure my kids are okay. Okay. We have to make plans for how we go forward. And then you just kind of live. And you live the moment and what you try to do is show people as much kindness and love as you can and understand that some people are going to hate you. Some people are going to agree with you. And the truth is you got to be able to live with you at the end of the day. And my family, most importantly, had to know who I was. That makes sense. And you lose someone who's like a mother, technically. Well, I mean, I reached out and, and made connection and, and that connection's always open. You know, so you don't have to lose that. I think what you what you lose is you lose you lose the great open connection that had existed and you lose this beautiful, almost like love story of a kid and, and a mother who have been aligned for so long who always were able to share the same side. And I mean, is that where it is now? Because like, I know you've had hardships this year with your son, your adopted son. Yeah. I mean, like, did you hear from Rosanna? Would you hear from Rosanna after that happened? I don't know that she's aware of it. I mean, it's not something that I told the whole world initially. You know, I went and finally, as I was starting to get asked about it, decided I would be open about it. And that was a really conflicted. I'm a pretty private guy. Um, Larry, who is right behind me, um, wonderful kid. And it's unfortunate. And his older sister 
and I are processing it and trying to create projects that will acknowledge both some of the struggles, but the family and, and, and honor him as we go forward. Most of my coworkers didn't even really know. Um, when I chose to slowly start to talk about it was I really, when I was asked, the truth is, what do you do with that pain? And what do you do with these situations? And again, I had kind of this, my initial instinct is to be silent and just deal with it on my own. And then I start talking to my daughter and I said, how do you feel? You know, what people are starting to ask me, what do you want me to say? Because at the end of the day, that's her brother. And I had to talk to her and my other kids and say, how do you want, what, what do you want me to say? And how do you want me to handle this? Because how they feel comes first. So then she said, you know, it's okay. And, and then I started to have this thing of like, if it can help one other parent, if it can have one conversation, if it, if it makes one kid think twice, if it affects one person in a positive way, then good. And I don't want to hide my life or like this goes back to what we've talked about before is I, I feel like in this day and age in particular but just in truth is you just have to live in your truth and and I really felt like I don't know how to not talk about it sometimes I mean this is from my my older daughter this was something she made for each of us as a memory and I, I wear it all the time the time I take it off is on camera when it doesn't fit what's going on. I, I tried to continue to wear it, but you know, it just didn't fit the history. So it's hard for me and it, and I'm struggling in it and I have grief and I have, and it has started some of this conversation on my Instagram in particular with my lives is I found a lot of other people who are grieving and been very open with people and acknowledged that I struggle. And I think the struggle is, there's a catharsis, but also most importantly, if I can help someone, then let my pain either help them or prevent somebody else's. And I think at this point in my life, that's who I want to be. And I have realized that one of the gifts of what I get to do in a very public job is I have the access to share with the world. So if I can make someone's life easier, it would be a shame not to. Well, that's very commendable because I don't think most people would choose that route. Well, I, I think I'm, I'm blessed to be surrounded by a lot of people who are fairly enlightened who have encouraged me to kind of tackle it that way. Um, and, you know, my oldest doesn't live with me. My, my uh, oldest biological son is away at college. So it's my youngest and I, and we have some super deep conversations. And it was really between my two daughters and I mostly about how do we handle this and how do we grieve through this and how, how do we acknowledge all of it, right? Yeah. And I am a firm believer, particularly in social media, it's supposed to be social. So when I engage with people, I, I feel like if I'm authentically me, like I said to you before, I don't want to have a persona. I don't want to, to walk around in the world and have to keep up some appearance that I, that really will get tiresome. So what you get is you get me and I'm not right all the time. And I, I'm not for everybody, 
and I'm opinionated and I'm strong-willed and what I am is what I try to be is strong, calm, and kind. And I'm resilient. I, I consistently make sure I'm kind because I have seen a lot of cruelty over the course of my life and I understand the value of being kind. Well, and it's much easier, like what a weight off your shoulders to not have this separate online persona that you don't have to double check and think about what you did. It's just, it is what it is. I don't know how people do that. To be honest with you, I don't, I like the concept of living this double life or trying to keep up this person. It's one of the reasons. And and it's some from some of my friends who are, you know, who maybe are transgender or who, who had been gay and been in the closet for a really long time. There's something about learning from all of those people about how hard it is not to be able to be authentically you, I think that I was like, yeah, if I'm going to do this again, this time in my career, I don't want to, I don't want to do it through the prism of, of a fake persona. Was going back to work, did that help or was it just hard to go back or was that cathartic and just like pour your mind into another character? Yeah. You know, I love working. Um, my life's easier when I'm working. I'm a workaholic. I've worked my whole life. I love being an actor. I love being on set. I, I, I love what we get to do. Um, I also have been doing a lot of writing because we have all these projects that we're pitching. Um, and that has been cathartic in a lot of ways. And, and there are bits and storylines and pieces that kind of make their way into it. My oldest daughter is a filmmaker and, and an actor. And so she's putting together a documentary. So what I try to do is let my pain fuel my, my passion. And I, you know, I don't know that that works for everybody, but I, I really do think that works well for me. And one way that I have always found to deal with my frustration or pain is I tend to pour myself into others and do kind acts. So whether it be coaching or spending time with loved ones or being on social media and having really candid conversations and listening to other people and sharing that I struggle. I think somewhere along the way, I realized one of my superpowers is my vulnerability. You know, I have a tendency to kind of hit people hard in the heart and make people cry, but I also have a tendency to help people feel better. And so I think if you're authentic about who you are, unfortunately, that's a rarity nowadays. And so yes, it's, it's not something you can fake. And I think that's one of the things that's most powerful about it. My last two questions, I promise. Whatever time you want. I I got time today. So, which I really appreciate. Like, do you think, you know, like, so this is what happened. Roseanne sent this tweet and your statement. And so like, right, like that is racism. And so that is one thing, which I would agree with you. Like that should not be tolerated in any way, shape or form putting that aside. So then someone like you makes an authentic statement, which is true to your heart. And now you have all this hate. And like you said, you lost some jobs. So do you think like, what do you think of cancel culture? Like does cancel culture go too far? I mean, for instance, like I have guests on this show. There's guests that say lots of things. I don't comment to a lot of things. I just listen. And I'm like, I I didn't say this, but this just recently happened. I'll spare you the long story. And someone's like, I'm not following you. I'm not listening to you anymore. I got it. It's fine. Like you said, you take the good with bad. Does cancel culture go too far? Like when you're getting death threats, 
for something you didn't do, you made a statement, which is authentic to who you are as a person. Well, I think the complexity of cancel culture is each case is slightly different and hasn't gone too far. The most dangerous part of all of it is we don't know how far it's gone almost until it's happened. And I think that's one of the most difficult parts is people make these big pronouncements or, or we go down that rabbit hole and only then do we start to see what the reverberations are. So in certain cases, I think the shows and the projects do end up having to be canceled, whether it be Me Too related or whether it be racial or, or you know, gender or, or sexual identity or abuse. Like, listen, I, I think there's so many talented people in the world and there's so many projects that need to be made. If one of them gets killed because of somebody's irresponsibility, then I, I kind of just look at it as it's an opportunity for something else to come in. And if that person made a singular mistake, they will reveal it to you. And if people will reveal their character. And I also believe like 20 years from now, if I say something stupid, because who knows what the mind frame of the world's going to be 20 years from now, right? Yes. These 20 years should be filled with actions and activities and stories and things that I've done that should clarify who I am. And I think that's the other part is when you hide your good works and when you hide in your, and this is true of a lot of people with fame or power or money is you sometimes hide in an ivory tower a little bit. You become disconnected from the people around you. And when you do, you don't do some of those works that you should have done. And I think along the way, cancel culture, we have to be conscious of what, they, what they've done, how it fits each individual case, and then what's the impact? Who are the people who are impacted? How many people are impacted? Is this a fight between two people where somebody said something stupid and got provoked and acted inappropriate? Is it a huge public statement that was indicative of something more? Are there people who are being hurt and, and are there victims or people who are being damaged by this? And what are those ramifications and how widespread does this become? So every case is slightly different. I think the one thing we have to be aware of is that we all make mistakes, mm -hmm. that we all have to have an opportunity to respond to them and to acknowledge our mistakes. And then the question is, what do you do to show the world who you are and how do you atone for those mistakes? Do you think, cause I know you said you think Roseanne is going to have a second chance in like life and in her career. Mm -hmm. Do you think like she's started the atonement process, the learning process? Well, I think, I think she was aware almost right away. I think it's one of the reasons that uh, and I think the delivery system was was not the best also from the reaction standpoint. But I also do think she, that's not, in my opinion, what her core is. And I, I have always said that. I said it the day to the whole world that it was out of character for who I know her to be. Do I think she'll get other opportunities? Absolutely. I think she can build other opportunities. And what I encourage her, her family, the people I talk about is like, there are so many things and she's so smart take your tone, take your voice and share it in that way and show people who you are. If you don't like how the world has perceived you, then it's your job, not to her, but to the, all of us. If you want the world to know who you are, show it. 
Show the world who you are. Show the world what you're doing. Look, I have two production companies. The word inclusion is in both of them for a reason. That's me. It's an example of me showing who I am. I have two charities. One I started with my youngest daughter and one with my writing partner that are designed to fill needs in society. My son that I lost was in the foster care system. So you will see things that have to do with adoption in the foster care system. And you'll see me fighting for equality and and racial justice and social justice. And you'll see me talking about gender and orientation and being an ally. That's my job to define myself to the world and to show people who I am. And when I fail, it is my job to really not run from my mistake or dive into an insecurity, but do the opposite and own and be vulnerable and say, man, I'm wrong. This is why I'm wrong. And here's why other people should not follow this. Because only then do we get growth and development as a nation. If you look at our country as a whole, we have a very checkered past. There's a lot of problems in our history. And it's not until we really start to own those indiscrepancies and those blatant disregards for human decency that we can make the progress we need to make in this world. As long as we want to pretend it was only a couple people or it wasn't that bad or it was bad to these people and not those people, these, those, those are terms that you're already separating and being ignorant. It's important that we realize we are a nation, we are a world that is better together, and we need to find the places that we can build inclusion and start taking the experiences of all of us because that's where the human experience is. And that's where we grow and develop. And that's my job in the stories I tell, in the projects I take. The only reason you'll ever see me walk away from a project is if I feel like we're not doing that. Because I honor what we get to do and I feel privileged every day I get to go to work in this business. So if you ever see me walk away from a project, ask yourself a hard question, why? And that's why. And that's why, because to me, I'm not going to be a silent supporter or be complicit in the act. And that's not the way everybody has to live, but it is the way I choose to live. And if people feel that I was wrong, they have that right as well. And I'm, in some cases I may be, maybe I come on too strong, but I'm gonna err on the side of fighting for the people who were kind or who were being mistreated or oppressed or not being given equality. Well, that's amazing. So I didn't expect all that. Sorry. No, 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 no. I mean, like in a good way, you said before, there's certain, I mean, I expected you to be a nice guy. That I expected. I just didn't realize how committed to all, all these causes you were. So that's a nice surprise. I know you said like, you're not sure if like Roseanne is aware of your loss. Like, so when did you last speak to Roseanne? Was it this public, feud or shortly thereafter when all this no i mean i've I've, I've sent messages and there's been messages back and forth i talked to people around her family she's got a good life situation she's living on the farm and she has a grandchild who's another grandchild coming and so we have connections and communications it's not my place to tell the whole world and define that for the whole world one of the things that i learned a long time in this business is i'm authentic and i'll share the things that are mine but I don't want to share for other people. That's fair enough. 
what about, well, a happy question, and then I really am wrapping up. What about the Connors? Do we know? I mean, I just haven't read up. Is it like, what's going on? Are we, I mean, I, I know you're still working on this season. Do we know anything about next season? And where does that all stand? Well, so the Connors is in, in a good place. We're having very authentic conversations about COVID and, and what it impacts, but also socioeconomic impacts. And I think those are important. Um, I'm hoping we're going to dive a little more into some of the race issues that are going on and some of the inequity and some of the, the struggles that are going on socially in our country. For me, you know, my character is an interesting flux. You know, I directed the Halloween episode this year, which was a great opportunity and, and coming full circle. But in that episode, you know, DJ is struggling and he's not being the best dad and his daughter essentially moves into the house, you know, so DJ kind of is removed a little bit. And I don't know what the resolution of that is. And I I hope that there's some more really deep uh, storylines. What I did feel very strongly was it was a beautiful opportunity to show how a lot of people are struggling and to authentically play a very deep role, much deeper than DJ has been in the last year, year and a half. And so it was nice to dive deep and to have these heartfelt moments and a strong opinion and to kind of get to move people on a visceral level because there's a lot of single parents struggling in the world. You know, his wife is deployed, which makes him a single parent at the time trying to manage this, this life and this family and he's struggling. And I, you know, I think that's something that's very important. And then again, I'm hoping that we're going to dive into the military topics because what I've done with some of my ideas is I've created another show that I'm, I'm working on pitching that is about a military family to tell some of these stories. And I have a couple uh, shows that center around interracial marriage. And so what I'm being is the change I want to see in the world. What I'm really doing is taking the stories that I really feel compelled that I think need more time and trying to turn them into projects that can give them that time. And those are all comedies or they're just a mixture? No, they're not all comedies. And, and that's the beauty is, uh, I think that surprises people too, is I write a lot of comedy. I write sitcoms because I love that. I love the tackling big issues, but finding the fun of family in them. Yeah. Um, but I write a lot of dramas too, and I write a lot of film. So, you know, film is a, is a much wider array of stuff. So yeah, I got projects all the way across the board. Wow. right all the time. Well, I think too, to your point on the Connors this season, I think the way they're dealing with COVID, just for like the nuances, like you have Ames's character who's like, really wear your mask, don't come in the house. Then you have like Jackie, Lori Metcalf is just like, I'm fine. You know, I mean, just like those nuances of like, people have different opinions of how, you know, scared they are and what they want to do regarding. So I just think like the way you guys are handling COVID is great to see as well. Yeah, I, we have a really talented writing staff. So I'm always excited week to week to see which weeks I get to work and, and what gifts I get along the way. Well, I mean, it's, I think, one of the most iconic shows. I mean, there's a lot of shows I like, but this show is just, you know, the second incarnation, it's, just, it's brilliant, the whole thing. So thank you. What else would you like to discuss that I didn't bring up? I like to give people a chance at the end to ask anything, bring anything up. I have my own agendas, but this is your time to. Oh no! I mean, I, I I'm just talking. I, mean, I have so many projects kind of coming up that I'm building that we're pitching. I feel like there's a lot of huge opportunities. You know, I, I love social topics, so you know, having you know adoption and a blended family, and then dealing with interracial couples and and the military. Those are huge. Those are huge heart projects for me, but also 
you know, there's projects where we're dealing with homelessness and we're dealing with community outreach and some disaster relief. And then we have a huge project that I'm just kind of ramping up that's about refugees and immigrants. And my dad's an immigrant. So that resonates with me. And then I've been doing this during the lockdown. The first one, I started a podcast where I interview people from behind the scenes who work in the crew to kind of share their stories because people don't know what these jobs are. So right. if you want to find out kind of what people do behind the scenes and meet some of those people, that's a great opportunity. And then people can connect with me on social media, come to any one of my lives, ask some questions, interact, try to come and be kind. Cause if you don't come and be kind, you won't last very long. Um, but it's a really amazing group of people. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From one podcast host to the next, how do you like how do you like being a podcast host and like that forum? I love people, so I find Same. people fascinating. You know, Same. so you know, I'm 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 all in. You know, my hardest part is I go long and then I have to edit down. <laughs> well, I can tell you, this is not. I I do a multi part episode. You're going to be a multi part episode. Okay. But I, I say the same thing. I mean, I guess it just shows me I'm one of those people who's on my phone all the time. I can't remember. I mean, you seem like the type that you remember everything. And I'm the type that I used to be that way. I don't remember anything anymore. But when I talk to someone like this, just focus, no phone. If yeah. you were on my podcast, I remember 95% of the things we talked about. And I also like people too. So I just find everyone's story different. And never really knowing what to expect. Some people surprise you. Some people are exactly what you think they are. Just, I think the human, I don't know. That's, that's what I like about it. The best. All right. Now what's the dream, David? Well, I've reinvented myself many times. I used to practice corporate tax law. I had my own like staffing agency. I disposed of that. So I've had like an early corporate life that I was successful in. You know, I mean, I, I like it's, if I had to do things over again, I probably would have done something with like media and entertainment right from the beginning. I do go back to my parents. They weren't that strict, but they were strict. And yes, it was grilled that you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Right. So like, I don't regret anything because it's gotten me stuff in Here. life. Yeah. But I think, you know, for me, media and entertainment is my, like, this is kind of what I was born to do. I mean, my ultimate dream would be to have like a talk show and this type of podcast on like a larger platform, not necessarily fame and money and success in that sense, but in some larger platform. Right. Well, I, I like interviewing people. And I think the more I do it, the more I think I'm good at it. Like I don't have producers. I don't like, I come up with my shows for each person. And I don't know, the more I do it, I'm like, these are pretty good. You know, like sometimes I'll check in with someone and say, oh, I'm interviewing this person. What do you, what do you think I should ask them? And they'll give me things. And I'll be like, eh, like one of those 10 questions isn't bad. And, yeah. you know, I think I'm going to stick to what I've come up with. So the more I do it, like I, I like the producer part of the business too. Yeah, I think it's like, good. That's kind of the dream at this okay. point, having and reinvented what, what, myself a million times. That's good. It's beautiful. What animates you? What do you mean? Like what excites me in life? Yeah. Like what, what brings you to life? Obviously doing this. 
doing this, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I love like pop culture, like just like that's like, I'm one of those people who is like, oh, like I'll get really into something like media and entertainment. But I think also I was always like this, but I feel like I've lost my way somewhat because of this business and just what it entails. I think COVID has really, I mean, this sounds so cliche, but like, I think COVID has given me a lot of clarity on, I'm not sure that I always, I think I was one of those people. Like, I I still think you are the rare, like not the only exception, but I think you are an exception, especially in the business you are in to say like, life is not about hierarchy. I, I agree with all these things. I just have a more cynical view of the world. And I think most people don't, don't think that way. I think most people are angled and mm-hmm. want something and it is all about a hierarchy and someone's going to walk in and treat Sarah Gilbert different than the person in the back. Or me. Yeah. Because she's an executive and, and yes. I think there's an honesty in that. And I, knowing there's a hierarchy, right? I think this is one of the things for me is if you know there's a hierarchy, and you know you're in an elevated position on the hierarchy, true strength is not walking around and beating people with your position. True strength is lifting people up and helping them come with you because that's what empowers people. Totally. And I agree that, right, if you don't act that way, that to me is just insecurity. Like if you really are comfortable and happy in life and you are at that top or one of those, why wouldn't you trickle it down? Because you have nothing to lose. Like you're lucky to be where you are doing what you love. Agreed. You know, so something like that. So I, that's kind of the, the dream. It would be to take this type of show on like a different platform, like a talk show or something okay. to that effect. And I mean, there are just, when I get deep down in philosophical, I mean, I don't know if you could tell, like just my own things I like to talk about. I love talking about like, the concept of fame and like I think on the bigger issues, just things I love to talk about besides interviewing people like yourself is like the concept of fame and like, when were you aware of it? And like, cause I still believe in this, like, this is how people think. And especially with social media and just how it kind of fucks with your head and how people treat you differently. And like when you, it's almost like you need people that really are famous and have that seem to me like you almost come out the other side because then eventually you're just a real person. You have to live your life. Not everyone. It's just the fact that when people don't have that or are not exposed to that, they think that that is going to solve everything and make you happy. And it, it doesn't. And just that concept of like, when you're at the party, you realize it's a nice party, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Well, I have always had this stance and something I teach my kids and something I tell a lot of players I coach is, my view on it is if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. And that's why you see people who, it doesn't matter how much fame or how much money or how, like it doesn't matter how much you're still empty. Right. Uh And and love's like that for a lot of people, especially if you experience a lot of trauma early in your life, in my opinion is you don't know how to take or receive that in some ways. And, and, and I can't claim that I'm always perfect in any of these areas. Like, but I believe if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. So you kind of have to like, look, am I perfectly happy where I am status of like my career or work? No, I have all these projects I want to make. I got lots of stuff I want to do. And 
I want to be able to help and empower other people. But I'm pretty much going to be this guy when I get there because I knew where I was here, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same way. Like if I blew up to a different level at this point and to me, so I, I always knew this and like maybe I lost my way a little bit, but to me, it's shocking that more people are now not here during COVID. Like to me, it's like, I mean, it sounds stereotypical, but like if you haven't had your coming to Jesus with yourself now, yeah, like, like I this, don't know what it takes. Like, right, like this is the great equalizer. Like there's no more, there's no more concerts. There's no mm-hmm. live audience. There's no stage door. It's so it's just like you're left alone or whoever you're with. So if you don't realize, like, it's just, that's what I'm fascinated when people put like celebrities, like we put celebrity on a pedestal and that's different than like admiring someone's work and just being like, I love your work. Agreed. So that's just where like those things fascinate me. But the fact that we're now in COVID and like a lot of people haven't figured this out, not that I'm saying everyone should, it's kind of like well, what are you waiting for? Because this is the equalizer. Like this isn't, it's not the two weeks that we all thought it was, March 10th. Like this is now nine months and we don't know what's next. And so it's just like, you know, like just, yeah. but it's not. Like you look on social media, there's the hate comments, there's the the kissing ass comment. It's like, it's no, it's not changing. That's what I don't understand. Well, I think a lot of people woke up and I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people are resistant to waking up. I think a lot of people don't want to have that element of like reality. Like they like the, they like the fickle reality, right? Cause the, I think there's an element of like that's safer, right? They, yeah. they kind of knew what the hierarchy was and they knew how to exist in that world and how to get attention in that world. So they like it. Yeah. But I'm with you. Cause if you haven't had a like, aha moment, like, like, like you said, you haven't had the come to Jesus moment. I, I don't know you probably are not going to have it because I don't know that you're going to get a bigger clarifier for you. Right. Well, the thing is, right. So a, it works both ways. Like you're hating on this person, which really is nothing about the person. It's all about the way you feel about yourself Yes. when there's bigger issues. So why you're hating and it's the opposite. It's the same group of people I see like are kissing up to certain celebrities and you're just like, well, I mean, that's great and all. You could admire the work, but that person's not going to be there on your deathbed. So like you're, right. you're like, your mother's sick and the person down the street is sick. And like, you should give like the celebrity should be your mother. It should be your sister. Right. It should be like, rather than so-and-so and trying to get them. I mean, oh, this person liked, liked my, or gave a heart to what I commented on Instagram. That's all great. Like I get it. But right. now you shouldn't make that the focus of like, it just everything it's a like, bigger issue like and now i sound like i'm on a soapbox but that's the type of thing where it just shocks me that we're not pivoting but to your point maybe people are just afraid like this is their way of dealing with this world that we're living in i think there's an element of that i but i don't have all the answers so yeah uh, but it me is either. fascinating for me too because i'm like i'm like okay like this is this group of people that i'm doing the lives with right Man, they talk about things that I would have never imagined someone would come on and share, right? But they're so kind to each other in the room. Like, there's this, like, kind community. And I'm like, like, part of me, but like, I'm like, holy shit, these people are, like, deep and, like, kind. And I'm like, okay, these people get it. And then every once in a while, like, somebody will show up and, like, 
Right. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And you're like, oh, like it, it almost like highlights what exactly what you're talking about. Cause I, I look at the people and I'm like, wow, there's like this community of people who are like getting it, but don't, I, I don't think they fully know how to make the shift yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's I hard. Do. I mean, like, I think it's hard for people. Yeah. Because we lived one way. And I also just think, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the world, but right. I, to me, it's like we're past that, like, it's all the same. And just like certain things, like big, big events and venues, like, you know, that's all so far off yes. that even when the world is somewhat back, it's not going to be the way it was. So I just think the whole maybe celebrity culture has changed in a way. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so. it, it hasn't, but it's like more about the work. And I also think for me, I've come to this just through what I do now. I mean, I always knew this and I knew certain people, but the more people I speak to, the more it's like your norm. And you, so you're like, mm-hmm. you just take people at face value. I mean, I'm one of those that could separate it. I could say, I love you on this show. I love what you do but I hated you in my interview, which I'm not going to read, you know, not you, but you know what I mean? No, like it trust really me, is. I get it. Cause sometimes you do interviews with people and you get to see behind, right? Like yeah. people are difficult or people are, or they'll say things to you and then they're, they're not kind about, or you see people, this is the funny thing about doing it via zoom is you see people react in their own space. Yeah. And sometimes you're like, Oh, like that's not, not pretty, not who I anticipated or. Right. And I do a lot of like reality TV people too. And I know a lot of reality TV people. So for me, uh, there's a lot of people I love on TV that as human beings and just knowing them are some of the worst human beings I've ever met in my life. Sorry. So, but like I can separate it and just say like, come on my show. Right. But I really don't want anything to do with you. But like tomorrow, if you're on a show, I think you're great for yeah. what you bring to the show. Right. So that's just like the more you do that and then you see all these people, whether they're actors or not, for human beings, that's where it's like, I just wish some people, like the rest of, I'm not like on a soapbox, but it's just, that's what it's like. It's shocking to me that more people don't see it that way. That it's like two separate people. Like you are not DJ Connor. Right. It's separate. I know, I know there are, uh, there's a very clear segment of the population who can't separate the reality from the fiction. And that fascinates, like that type of topic. So in addition to just doing this and having a talk show, I don't know in what that, that type of stuff just fascinates me. Okay. The psychology behind it. I just, I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I like it too. I'm always curious and, and I try to be very kind, but it is. Very yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And like, I don't want to take that away from anyone, like more power yeah, to you if you're excited. It. Yeah. But at the same time, it definitely is interesting. Like there's, you know, well, I'm like, I mean, there's a lot of like eighties music. I love one person is Cindy Lauper. She yeah. always says like, if someone says, I love you, she literally will say to you, you don't love me. You love my right. music. You right. love my music, but right. you don't know anything about me. Like, it's very nicely. And she's like, I'm not that great. Like, I'm not that nice. Like, you, yeah. you probably wouldn't like me. I tell people all the time, like, I'm, I'm flawed. I'm flawed like everybody else. Don't put me on a pedestal. Don't, yeah. You know, like, I make plenty of mistakes. And I'm, I'm super honest about that because I, I just feel like, 
you have to own the reality of who you are. Like nobody's perfect. Yeah. No, they're not. And I don't, I'm certainly not perfect. Like I, that's the other thing. Like my social media, same thing. When you have an Instagram, you go to it. It's so curated every, some days my pictures are great. Other days I look like a bloody mess. I'm like, it's a damn picture. <laughs> I'm not filtering this. This is what it is at this moment in time. This is how I look. Yeah. And I'm doc. I mean, I, I do a lot of my social media for, I mean, for business, but also for myself, just like, this yeah. is my, I don't keep albums anywhere else. Like it's no, my way too. when I look back. So I don't really care if you don't like how I look. Well, I didn't used to take a lot of pictures of the kids that the world got to see because my kids were young. And I, again, right. with all of the stuff going on, I tried to be super protective. So yeah. now my kids are older and they're kind of their own people. So now it's nice because I just take pictures and it becomes kind of my living scrapbook from the standpoint of like, we just share in a moment and we're at the beat. Like they're not prepped and like, I, I you know, I'm sure my team would probably like me to be a little more polished in some of it, but I'm like, no, this is who I am. And I want people to see it's okay for people to see imperfection or struggle. Yeah. And I mean, I just don't have the time. Like I do not have the time to like curate this, crop it, do this. I always said if Facebook and Instagram ever go away, I need a lot of notice because I have no memory i mean i have a memory but i have no visual documentation of my life anywhere else in the world i know i'm always like i need to every so often i try to like take a bunch of pictures and like put them on a on a drive because i'm like i don't have them anywhere yeah i don't either but one of my friends was like it's never gonna go away and if it did it will they will you will be given like nine months notice like it's never gonna be like facebook is gone tomorrow i'm like okay well that's fair enough yeah so we, I will keep in touch with you on Instagram. Are you good on Instagram? Cause that's where yeah. I'm best. Okay. Oh, yeah. I will say hello. So you have all my socials where, no, this was really, honestly, I'm not just saying this. This was one of my better chats in a very long time. You're amazing. You're authentic. You're honest. That's, that's what I like. I just like an honest, authentic person. <laughs> it's hard for well, people. Well, you know what it is? I, a lot of people will come on my show and say a lot of things. And then I will get comments of like, that was a great show, but I think that person was full of crap. And I mean, I'll never admit that, but I will say to myself, oh yeah, there's nothing they said to me, which was truthful at all. It was all, they wanted a headline. They had their own agenda versus someone. And I'm like, it's not my, I don't think it's my place to to say that to you during an interview. But yeah, I mean, like I'm in on the joke. There's a lot of people that come on my show and just whatever they say is their own agenda. And there's not one of, which is fine. I'm not knocking that. No, I mean, that's how people, some people go about it. I'm always like, just be, be careful because sooner or later, somebody's going to be like, Mm-mm. Yeah, they're like, you said this, then you said this, but you were truly authentic. So where can everyone find you online who wants to follow you? Uh, Real M. Fishman. Uh, my, my standard is Real M. Fishman, R-E-E-L-M, Fishman, like my last name. Or if you want to check out Fish's call sheet, it's uh, F-I-S-H-S. C-A-L-L-S-H-E-E-T. And I'm pretty active on both of those. You can pretty much get me across the board, especially at, at Real M. Fishman. That's amazing. I will slip into your DMs and say hi, so you have it. I'll do it from my podcast, Behind okay. the Velvet Row. But I really appreciate this. You've given me more time than you could have. So okay. thank you. Have a great day, and we'll talk okay. soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me, and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.